Well, my name is Ron Cool, and I am one of the pastors here as well, and I'm going to cough. <coughs> Excuse me. Sorry about that, guys. Um, anyway, I want to think with you this morning about the subject of temptation and about the temptations that come our way and the temptations we face. And in order to do that, we're going to look at the temptations that Jesus faced at the beginning of his ministry. And, and, and before we look at those, though, I want to kind of look at something else. I want to look at the story before the story, okay? At, at the, the story that happens right before uh, Jesus goes into, tempt, into the time of temptation, uh, because I think it really sets the stage for it. So it's the story of the baptism of Jesus. Now, some of you may know and may remember that uh, Jesus was baptized by his cousin, by John the Baptist. Jesus was a cousin of John the Baptist, and when Jesus was about 30 years old, about 30 years old, he went. John had been preaching in the wilderness, and when John would baptize, he'd go down to the Jordan River. And so Jesus went to the Jordan River, and he was baptized there by John. And I want to suggest that we need to understand just how important this was. I think this was an extremely important moment for Jesus, this, this moment of baptism, this moment of affirmation, this moment of beginnings. Because you see, what, what the baptism of Jesus does in all the four Gospels, in all the four Jesus stories, is it marks the beginning of his public ministry. Jesus was sent by the Father with a job, right? Jesus was sent with a calling. He was born to die, we sing in a song. Jesus was born in order to to come and to teach and to heal and to lead and to serve and to challenge and to give and ultimately to die on a cross, right? Jesus was called to do all of those things. Jesus was called and given that, that, that passion, that job, that that opportunity, that ministry. And, and what we see, what we see at his baptism is, is that ministry beginning, is, is that ministry starting, is that, is that ministry kind of being commissioned and so on. It, it's the beginning time. And so that's why Jesus is starting to make all things new. For 30 years, he's been preparing for this moment. For 30 years, he's been preparing for this time. And now it's time to pull up his sli- shirt sleeves and, and, and to get busy. Some of you may remember how it happened when Jesus was baptized. He went down to the Jordan River. John the Baptist was there. And John knew that that he was really preparing the way for Jesus. And and, and so when Jesus shows up, John says, uh, no, 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 I I don't baptize you. You baptize me because you're greater than I am. And so I shouldn't do this. And Jesus says, no, we need to do this this way. Matthew 3, 15, Jesus replied, let it be so now. You take the lead. You take the lead. Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. So Jesus went down into the Jordan River. John either scooped water up and put it over Jesus, or he dunked Jesus down. They did it either way at that time. But I want you to think about what happens as Jesus comes out of the water. As he walks up the bank of the, uh, of the, the banks of the Jordan River, Matthew three sixteen and 17. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and and alighting on him, landing on him, the Spirit of God touching on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Okay, so can you imagine that? How much that would mean to Jesus? This is the time of the beginning of his ministry. He knows what's ahead of him. He knows that this is ultimately going to lead to a cross. He knows all of that. But, But as he begins... The Spirit comes, the heaven opens up, and he hears his Father say, and, and, I, I love you. And, and, and what happens in this moment, I think, is the Spirit and the, and the Father are saying to the Son, we love you, and we, we're just excited, and we're passionate, and we, we're supporting you, and we're with you. 
And, and, and it's just this powerful moment for Jesus as he begins his, his public ministry. I think, again, there are a couple of things happening here. There's, first of all, just an affirmation. The father says, this is my son whom I love. He is ready to go. I am well pleased with him. He has learned the lessons he needs to learn. And he's saying, Jesus, you are ready to go. There's this great affirmation from the Father in the spirit of, of alighting, of landing on Jesus. There's also this commissioning. Now it's time for you to go. Now it's time for you to serve. And, and, and so if you think about the baptism of Jesus, I want you to just understand this. This is, this is not just sort of like this thing where it kind of happened to Jesus and it was just there. This was for Jesus the first step in his public ministry, okay? This was the beginning of it. This is now he's ready to go. And the Father comes and just wraps him in his love. And the Spirit says, we're with you. The battle is going to be hard. The battle is going to be long. But we are with you. Now, I want you to tuck something away in your minds here. Okay, because there's something going on here that I want to kind of point out as we go through this morning. And and I think it's really cool and helpful to kind of understand the whole story of Scripture. You see, I think what we need to understand is there are echoes here of the Garden of Eden. Okay? Matthew wants us to understand that there are echoes of the Garden of Eden. What do I mean by that, okay? We, we've just been studying beginnings. If you haven't been with us, that's okay. But Genesis 1 and 2 tells the story of Adam and Eve, and in Genesis 2, they're in the garden. And, and, and in some ways, just the setting. I mean, John preaches out in the wilderness. Where does he baptize? At the Jordan. The Jordan would have been green. Along the banks of the Jordan, it would have been much more like a garden. But more importantly, what we have is when Jesus comes out of, that, out of that water and the Spirit is there and the voice of the Father is there and there's this affirmation that's a little bit like, you know, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden when God blesses them. When God says everything is good. When God looked at all that he created and said, it's very good. And, and then just as with Jesus in the Garden, the Father also gives a commission to Adam and Eve. We looked at that, right? Fill the earth and subdue it. Take care of it nurture it, okay? And, and, and so just as Adam and Eve were this, in this place in the garden where they had that fellowship with the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and they've been given a job by God, just as God says, now go do it, so too we've got the, the Son, okay? In Matthew chapter 3, this fellowship with the Father and the Spirit, Jesus now in his human form, and now they're saying, now go do it. Just tuck that away. Tuck that away. You'll see why it matters. Well, you'll see why it matters right away. Because what happens next, Matthew 4, verse 1, the story we want to look at, it says this, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. He's baptized, and the first thing that happens is Jesus is led out into the wilderness, probably the Judean wilderness south of Jerusalem. This is sort of what it looks like. Uh, There would have been caves in those hills. Jesus could have easily spent 40 days there fasting and seeing no one else. Just spent 40 days in that kind of a place, prayer. So in, in prayer, it's on the Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, but look at why. Why? To be tempted by the devil. To be tempted by the devil. Now, do you see the parallels? Do you see how it is? What's the first thing that happens in Genesis 3, verse 1? Adam and Eve are, are in perfect fellowship with God. They've been given this commission. Genesis 3, verse 1, some of you might remember it. It says, now the serpent was craftier than any of the other animals that God had made. Matthew 4, verse 1, Jesus is led into the desert to be tempted by the devil. You see, Jesus is, is, is returning to what Adam and Eve did. Jesus is following their path. What Matthew is trying to get us here, let me make this clear. What Matthew is trying to teach us here is that the very first act of Jesus' ministry is facing the tempter. What Matthew is trying to teach us is that Jesus is going to be the new Adam. 
And just as we all died in Adam, in Jesus, we're all going to be made new, okay? In Jesus, he, 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 he's going to make everything right. And Paul uses that language of the second Adam. This is why, right? Because Jesus is now on the path that we are on, the path that we failed. The first act of ministry is, is facing the tempter. Why is that important? A couple of things, okay? Two reasons why. Let me just try to make this clear here. If Jesus is going to undo what Adam and we, we said that we were there with Adam and Eve in the garden. If Jesus is going to undo what Adam and we did, he must defeat the enemy who defeated Adam and us, all right? So that's why this is significant. Just as Adam and Eve, the first thing they had to do was deal with the serpent. They had to deal with the tempter, and they failed. So too, Jesus, in order to restore us, in order to save us, in order to give us new life, he needs to face the same enemy. If he's going to save us, if he's going to rescue us, he's got to walk down the same road, but he must do it successfully. He must face the same tempter. And, and, and so it's significant and it's important for us to understand that, that Jesus is, is following the same path as us. But he's going to do it right. And he's going to be righteous. And then he's going to give that righteousness to us. And, and, and so in the New Testament, just watch this. You'll see it again and again where, where Jesus is, is redoing what Adam and Eve did. Jesus is redoing what Israel did. Israel spent 40 days out in the wilderness, right, Jesus? Or 40 years. Jesus is spending 40 days. I mean, Jesus is saying, what you failed at, I will succeed. And if he's going to undo what we did, he's got to face the same enemy who defeated us. And so these temptations, part of what's going on here is it is a test for Jesus to see whether he deserves to be a savior, to see whether he deserves to be able to give us new life. So that's the first reason it's important. If Jesus is going to undo what Adam and we did, he's got to defeat the same enemy who defeated us, all right? The second reason it's important for us to understand this, and I think that this is given this first place, is that if we're going to follow Jesus, we need to recognize we have an enemy, okay? The Bible just wants us to be very clear on that, that if we make a commitment to go the Jesus way, if we make a commitment to say, I want to be like Jesus, I want to do what Jesus does, I want to honor God with my life, if we make that commitment, we will have an enemy. There is a devil, there is a, a, a serpent. Just like Adam and Eve faced the serpent, just like Jesus faced the devil, facing the same one, so too you and I, you and I, in trying to honor God, will know what it's like. We will know what it's like to face temptation. We will know what it's like to have someone whose goal and desire is to draw us away from God. It's called several things in this story. The devil, he's called the tempter. And it's interesting to me that that word tempter, when Jesus is called the tempter, sometimes that's translated Satan. But that word tempter can also be translated splitter. Because what, what the tempter wants to do, what the splitter wants to do is to split us off from God. He wants to distract us from God. If you, again, commit to this Jesus way, if you say, you know, during these, this Lenten time, I'm going to do these devotions, I'm going to grow. If we as a church say we are going to grow spiritually, we are going to deepen our faith in Jesus Christ, know this, that we will face huge distractions. We will face all those times. I mean, you know, I, I, I wonder sometimes, and I don't want to overdo the devil thing, but, but you know, I mean, I, I, I got my emails with the, the Lenten devotions in them, and it's like almost always when I'm halfway through, somebody calls or something. And I think I'm going to just have to turn, because, you know, it, it, it's just whenever we commit to doing what God wants us to do, Satan gets very active. And so we have a battle here going on, a battle between Jesus and the tempter. Just as there was a battle between Adam and Eve and the serpent, just as there's a battle for us every day, Jesus faces the tempter. Let me kind of set the scene for you, okay? This is kind of the way that I imagine it happening. Jesus is out in the wilderness. I showed you that picture. He's out in the wilderness. He's been fasting. 
The Spirit led him there. This is God-directed. I believe God also called him to do the fast. 40 days, just, food, just water, no food for 40 days. His, his father called him to that. We're towards the end of that time. Jesus has got to be terribly hungry. And, and during this time, he's been seeking, and I believe hearing God's voice. That happens when we commit ourselves to God. We, we, we know God. His word speaks to us and so on. Jesus has been knowing that God is close. But as he comes to the end of this time, he realizes there's another voice he's hearing. There's another voice. It's a subtle voice. It's the voice of the tempter. And, and as with us, we need to understand the tempter never comes to us and never comes to Jesus directly and says, hey, why don't you just throw off the father? Why don't you just get rid of him? You know, you're just as good as he is. Why don't you take the high place? Why don't you get the first throne? Why, why do you always do this? Why do you let him have his way? Why don't you? No, Jesus would have said, get behind this crazy, you nut. Jesus would have never fallen for that. When, when, when Satan comes into our lives, when the splitter comes into our lives, he never comes directly and identifies what he wants to do. He doesn't say, I want to ruin your spiritual life. What he does is he comes with invitations. He comes with just the ability to try to make us feel better. He gives three invitations to Jesus. The first invitation he gives is, was well, an invitation we all hear all the time. It's just an invitation to solve a problem. What's the problem with that, Jesus? Why don't you just solve a problem? Here's how I imagine Satan approaching Jesus that day. I think he would have started off and said, Jesus, I just got to tell you, you amaze me. You amaze me. The discipline, the dedication. I am, you are just something else, Jesus. I am so, so good. I've seen during my time, a lot of people claim the 40-day fast. Now, some of them do it, but most of them, you know what? They cheat. They don't write it in their journals, but in little ways, they cheat. But you didn't cheat a bit. I have never seen the dedication that you have. And dude, you gotta be hungry. I mean, I can hear your stomach growling, man. You've got to be, this is just amazing. But I've got to tell you something. Don't you think it's about time? I mean, don't you think you, uh, you, you paid enough? Don't you think you've proven your point? I mean, if, if you are the son of God, if your father loves you, by the way, it was a beautiful little scene down by the river. Really appreciated that. That voice, this is my son whom I love. Let me just tell you this. If your father loves you, would he really want you hungry? Seriously, I can understand the dedication thing, but this is long enough. Does he really want you hungry? I thought he said he loved you. And what good father, what good father refuses food to their children? This, this is, this, something's wrong here. Jesus said, so just, I mean, come on. Just take these stones, make a little bread. I'm not telling you to do filet mignon, Jesus. I mean, I'm just telling you just a little bread. You know you do it for others. I mean, Jesus, just face it. Let's imagine you had 5,000 people in front of you and say five loaves. You'd feed everybody. You'd do it for others. Why can't you do it for yourself? Just solve a problem. You're hungry. There's food right in front of you. All you gotta do is just tell it. And it's all solved. It's all solved. If you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Sounds so good. I can't imagine what it's like to fast for 40 days. I cannot imagine how hungry Jesus must have been. And it wasn't his sin that caused all this problem. It was somebody else's. At some point, you know, you just got to say, okay, have I proven my point? Can I just now do this? 
I think this is a huge way temptation comes into our lives. I think so often the way the splitter comes to us is to solve a problem. You got a difficulty. You know, this, the, 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 dem, the devil doesn't say to us, you know, steal from work. What the devil says is, look, you know what? You've been a faithful employee all these years. You had no way of knowing that that surgery was going to come up last year. You had no way of knowing that this was, your barn was going to burn down and you needed to build a new one or whatever. You had no way of knowing this. And, and now you're not going to be able to make the house payment. I mean, does God, your father, if he loves you, does he want you homeless? No. You don't have any other options. Just, you can pay the money back, but just divert some of the funds, okay? Just solve, come on, yeah, the solution is right there. Didn't God give you a brain? Don't you see how you can do this? Just solve your little problem. You're in high school. You went to a party. The rumors are flying. Some people are being confronted. Ask if they were drinking. I mean, if you tell the truth, if you admit to that, you're going to lose your spot on the basketball team. You might lose your, who knows if you're going to get into the college. Come on, just tell a little lie. As long as you deny it, they have no proof. Nobody had their cell phones out. Nobody's going to show it. As long, nobody, there's not going to be a problem. See, Jesus, I'm going to tell if you eat a little bread. See, that's how the tempter comes. Just, and, 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 you know, you've been a really faithful husband. You have. The devil says to us, I'm so proud of you. But isn't there a point at which you say, come on. Your wife has turned you away for five years. For five years. Do you think that's what God wants? Doesn't he want you to be happy? And you don't have to throw away the marriage, but you know that woman at work whose husband has just been, you know, sleeping around. Just, you're a man, you have needs. You understand? You see, I mean, that's the way the devil talks to me all the time. Ron, you got a problem, just solve it. You got a problem, just solve it. Nobody needs to know. You can take care of it, just confess it later. You got a problem, and, and, and it's so tempting so tempting. Why do I find lies tempting? Because they solve problems. Because they get me out of a hole. Why is it sometimes tempting to drink so much? Because it gets rid of the pain. It solves a problem. A little porn on the website just, God, it solves a problem. I need something because it's just really cold here. I, just, I mean, on and on we can go. And it sounds so good. So what's the problem? Really, I mean, What's the problem? What if Jesus had done this? Would the universe have somehow stopped spinning? Would everything have gone? The fact is, bread is good. Jesus is going to multiply bread and feed 5,000. What's the problem here? You, you see, one of the things we need to understand about sin is that the act of it is always secondary. See, the real question here is not, gonna Jesus, is not whether Jesus is going to turn stones into bread. The real question is, will he trust the Father? The real question is, will he Will he trust his father? God said, this is how you've got to do it. And the question is, will Jesus say, all right, I'll do it your way? And, and that's so often the question we have to face. I think so much of my disobedience comes down to that question of, do I trust God? Do I trust that God can get me out of this mess so I can dare to tell the truth? Do I trust that God can take care of me so I don't have to cut corners and report income that's not income or not report income to the IRS? Do I trust that God can take care of me? Do I trust it? God says to us over and over again, I mean, that's what he said to Adam and Eve, trust me, I will give you everything you need. And they said, you know what, I'm not sure you can do that. I want to find out on my own, so I have to try this. 
but so often I don't trust that God can bring new life into relationships so I try to force things. I don't trust that God can change hearts so I try to force things. And the problem is not just what I'm doing. The deeper problem is whether I really trust God. And that's what Jesus has to do here. Say, God, again, there's nothing magical about a 40-day fast. Jesus knows that. But it was what his father had called him to do. And so Jesus says yes. Jesus says yes to his father. And and I want us to recognize that with each of these. I'm not going to say Jesus said no to the devil. Because that's so often how we look at temptation. It's saying no. What I want us to recognize is dealing with temptation is learning more and more to say yes to God. That's what Jesus does. Jesus says, no, I will say yes to God, and he does it by quoting scripture. Matthew 4, verse 4, Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Talks about the importance of scripture, doesn't it? How do you get ready for temptation? Memorize. Scripture is one of the key things to do. Haggad, meditate on it like we talked about last week. Chew on it. Take it into ourselves. Let it shape us so that when we come to this moment, we say, no, I would rather be poor but in God's will than money without it. I would rather be hungry but in God's will than well-fed without it. That's what I want more than anything else, God. I trust that what you want is life for me. And so I will go where you want me to go. I will do what you want me to do and I will obey you as best I can. Not because I'm afraid of you, God, but because I know you love me so much and that your word is life. That's what Jesus talks about. Jesus says yes to God, okay? Now, one thing I want you to notice as we we end this round, Jesus is still hungry. I I, I think that most of us kind of deal with temptation or have an image of how this should work is that when, when Jesus says to the devil, Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That God should have just said, you got it, Jesus, good job, here's a Big Mac. Right, I mean, when we choose the right path, when I say, God, I'm going to trust you, so I'm not going to tell the lie, then somehow I should still get my college scholarship, right? God, I'm going to trust you, so I'm not going to do this, so my marriage should start to get better, right? It's not the promise. (laughs) It's not the deal. Jesus is still hungry. Jesus is still, te- and, and, and in our lives, that's the way it's going to be, friends. Now, again, in the long run, we're going to see the angels will come and feed Jesus. They'll give him what he needs. God will, in his time, take care of us. But don't think, don't think. And as long as we get it right, then immediately God says, good, now I'll bless you. Jesus gets it right, and guess what? He stays hungry. And sometimes you will get it right and things will get worse and you will get more hungry and it will be more difficult. So that's the first round, an invitation to solve a problem. As I imagine what happens next, I see the devil turning to Jesus and saying, well played. Well played, my opponent. Adam and Eve fell for that one. It didn't take them long at all. You tell me that you like the word of God. You tell me that you trust the word of God. Let's go with that. Let's go with that, shall we? Matthew 4, verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. I don't know exactly where that would have been, and this is obviously a temple in Jerusalem today. 
but most probably the temple was along this same lines and in the same sort of place. And the highest point would most probably be there along this edge. This is the Kidron Valley, and it goes down very sharply. And so the devil takes him to the top of this. It's probably from that top down to the bottom of the valley, about 450 feet. Again, it's not straight down because the valley is, but it's very steep, okay? About 450 feet. And, and the devil takes Jesus up there. And he says, now, you trust God. That's, that's good, because I've never known him to lie. It's one of the things I hate about him. But if you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, let me tell you something. Jump. Throw yourself down. You're the one who said you believe God's word. You're, you're the one who said that you trust in God. Well, let's just show everybody how faithful God is. Because you know it's written. It is written, he will commend his, command his angels concerning you, and they will lift up their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. There it is, Jesus. You memorized this one when you were 12. You know these words. They're from Psalm 91, Jesus. You wrote it. <laughs> you should know it. Why not just jump? Why? I, I mean, you can hear the devil saying, now, Jesus, just think about this, right? You want to bring glory to the Father. Imagine how much glory the Father would get if you jumped and the angels caught you. Uh, imagine how much glory you would get and, and, and how much you would just be able to honor God. I mean, you would be able to go see Caesar. You start jumping off 450-foot buildings and angels catching you, you do that on a weekly basis, Caesar will have you in his room. And you can tell him, it's all about God's glory. It's all about God's promises. Do you see, folks? Can you understand how many people would come to faith, Jesus? That's what the devil is saying. <laughs> do you understand, Jesus, how many people would come to faith if you did this? They would not be able to deny that, Jesus, that your Father exists. They wouldn't be able to deny it. And so what this is, and, and this is the subtlety of the devil, this is an invitation to show God's glory, an invitation to prove God's promises. Take a leap of faith, Jesus. God said it, you believe it, so claim it. Claim it, Jesus. Show the world how faithful your Father is. Doesn't it sound good to do that? Come on, haven't you ever been tempted? Haven't you ever prayed and said, God, do you realize if you healed this person what a difference it would make? I mean, what if we set it up? I, I, I know this is a little bit out there, but, but think about it. I... I, I Let's say we knew I was going to die Tuesday. Let's say that that was the case. Now, I believe God could raise me from the dead at any moment. I believe someday he's going to. I believe God could raise me from the dead. But what if we said, okay, God, we are going to make a splash for you. So what we're going to do is we're going to bring in three of the most anti-Christian doctors that we know. For three days, they are going to watch me and poke me, and I'm dead, and they're going to declare me dead 800 times. And we're going to call in CNN and NBC and Fox and, S and all the letters. We're going to, ESPN will be here, okay? I mean, we're going to call everybody in, and we're going to do that, and we're going to put it on the big screen, and everybody's going to know that I'm dead. And then we're going to claim the power of God and say, God, in Jesus' name, raise him from the dead. And can you imagine if I rose from the dead? How many people would become Christians? Right? Can you imagine it? I mean, if we had absolute proof that God raised me from the dead, or whoever it is, if we could just do that, God, doesn't it make sense? Jesus, just jump. Just jump. 
The angels are going to catch you. God's claim your promises. And Jesus said in John 15, verse 7, if we remain in his words, and in his words remain in us, we can ask whatever we wish, and it will be done for us. Just claim it. Just claim it. Sounds good. You ever feel like, I hear voices in the Christian community, preachers, other Bible teachers. Somebody challenged me on this last week. You're not bold enough in your prayers. You're not bold enough in your prayers. You don't say, you know, God, do this. You say, God, if you want to, please do. No, we have the name of Jesus, and we can claim what we ought to. And we shouldn't pray, God, if it's your will, heal this person. We should claim, heal this person now, because that's what God can do. And if we, if we take God seriously, he will give us whatever we ask. And our problem is we don't ask with enough boldness. Prove his promises, display his glory. You know what? If God did more miracles, don't you think there'd be more Christians? So what's the problem? Two things. First, it's just twisting the Bible. Psalm 91 is not about jumping from the temple top. This is not a promise to take care of us when we're idiots. It's not a promise to just, you know, one of the things, we've got to read Scripture well. We've got to keep going to it. We are so good at taking verses out of context. We are so good at taking a verse and saying, you see, God promised this, therefore I get to do this. No, friends, we read the Bible together because it's not always easy to hear what it says and so we read it with those who've read it before and we say god what are you trying to say here and we better make sure that we're listening for what god says not putting our meaning into scripture the question is not what do i want it to say the question is what does god want it to say to me and psalm 91 is not about jumping off of buildings and getting a free ride home on the angels it's twisting scripture but the deeper deeper issue i think is this and this is something I think we can be tempted to do, and that's forcing God to follow our plans. You see, what the problem was is Jesus needs to say, God, I want to do this your way. I want to do this your way. And and the temptation was to say, no, I'm going to do this my way. I'm going to come up with my plans, and then, God, you've got to bless them. I'm going to come up with my plans for my family. I'm going to come up with my plans for our church. I'm going to come up with my plans for my business. And then, God, you've got to bless them because you said you would bless me if I honored you. God, you've got to bless them. But what we do is we put our plans first and we force God's hand because he's got to now support our plan. And what we need to learn to do is say, God, I don't want to do my plan. I want to do your plan. I don't want to do it my way, God. I want to do it your way. I mean, think of Jesus in the Garden of Eden or in the Garden of Gethsemane right before the cross. Jesus says, you know what, Father, if you can get rid of this cup, if, if I don't have to do this death thing, that would be great. But not my will, but your will be done, okay? And, 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 and we've got to make sure that we're not ripping Scripture apart, claiming promises, and then saying, God, look, I'm doing this, now you bless me. God, I'm stepping out here, even though it's my plan, not yours, but now you've got to catch me. It's not the way it works, friends. God isn't there to bless our plans. We are there to seek God's face and to follow God's plans. And that's what Jesus had to do. Again, he had to trust the Father. And so Jesus again says yes to the Father. Matthew 4, verse 7, Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God 
to the test. Deuteronomy 6.16. Scripture teaches us how to read other scriptures. Don't force God's hand. Don't put the Lord to the test. Now, should we be passionate about knowing God and trusting God? Absolutely. Should we be willing when God leads us to take great steps of faith? Absolutely. But let's be honest about how easy it is to, to, to put our own agenda in front of God's. And let's be honest about just quietly, humbly seeking God's face and saying, God, we want to do your plans, not our plans. We don't want to force God's hands. So it's an invitation to prove God's promises. And then comes the third one. An invitation to take a shortcut. An invitation to take a shortcut. Matthew 4, 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. Don't know where it was. Maybe something like this. But the devil takes him up here. And, and this is a little different temptation. The other two were very subtle, right? I mean, you believe in the word of God, claim it. That, that sounds really good, right? This time I think the devil kind of just goes directly at it. This time the splitter just kind of says, can we talk? Can we, can we just be honest with each other here a minute? I, I imagine, honestly, that the devil would t- have this conversation with Jesus at this point, saying, look, you and I both know why you're here. You and I both know why you're here. You are here to become king of kings and lord of your lords. You are here to, to get back from me. <laughs> it became mine when Adam and Eve disobeyed the Father. To get back from me when I tricked them. You want to get back the world, right? You want to become the king of kings and the lord of lords. The devil knew the plan. He knew the goal. You want to be the king of kings and the lord of lords. The devil says to Jesus, now there are two ways this can be done. The hard way and the easy way. And if I know anything about your father, it's that he always makes you take the hard way. He's never in the easy way. He's always in the difficult way. It's one of the things I don't like about him. But I want to just tell you why. Jesus, why do you have to take the hard way? Why don't you just once take the easy way? Why don't you just once take the short way? Because I am going to make you a one-time offer good for only one hour. One hour. I will sign over all the kingdoms of the world to you. I will, you will get what you came for. I will make you king of kings, the Lord of lords. You get everything back. All you got to do is three minutes. For three minutes, bow down. For three minutes, just worship me. And, and understand, the devil is a beautiful angel. He's one of the highest angels. He was powerful, beautiful. And, and if you and I saw him, we would be tempted to worship him. Three minutes, Jesus. Just sing me one song. Just honor me for three minutes, and you got the whole thing. Just a little bit. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. There we go. And so it's that invitation to take a shortcut. Jesus, there's no need to die. I'll give it to you. You get what you came for, King of kings, Lord of lords. There's no need to die. And again, it sounds so good. It sounds so good because Jesus would be king. There's no question about it. I think the devil would have kept his end of the bargain. Jesus could have done that and in three minutes saved himself all of that pain, saved himself all of that suffering, saved himself all of that difficulty. So what's the problem? The problem is we would still be lost. (laughs) See, Jesus can be the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He was offering them kingdoms. He wasn't offering them us. The only way for Jesus to save us is to take on our sin and to pay the price on the cross. 
There was no other way. There's no shortcut for Jesus. There was no shortcut way for him to get around that. There, there was no alternative. It was only the cross. And there are no shortcuts for us. It's tempting always to take shortcuts. I think about us as a church and say, how can we be successful? Let's drop the sin stuff. Let's drop the cross stuff. Let's be a little more. I mean, come on, Lent is pretty, pretty depressing. You're telling me I'm a sinner and I'm dead in sin and all this stuff? You know, it's a lot better to tell people they're great. It's a lot better to tell people that, that the problem is you don't think highly enough of yourself. If we did that, it would be better. I want to be a, a deeper Christian, but I don't want to get up early and do devotions. <laughs> but there are no shortcuts. There are no shortcuts. And so Jesus again says yes to God. Jesus answered him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus says, no, I will not take a shortcut. So those are the three tests. Just solve a problem, Jesus. Turn those stones into bread. Prove God's promises. Take a leap. Give God glory. Jesus, how about we just end this thing now? You can have what you want, at least most of it. Jesus says yes to God, and he gets an A+. Then the devil left him, verse 11, and angels came and attended him. The devil didn't leave him forever. He came back, and he comes back after us. But what we need to see, one of the things we need to see here this morning is that now Jesus is ready for the next step in his ministry, right? Adam and Eve failed off the bat. Jesus is now ready to go. He faced the tempter. He faced the serpent, and he won. And so he's on his way to becoming our Savior. And so to wrap this up, as we begin this Lenten journey of taking the Jesus way to new life, two things. One is just know that the enemy will try to distract us. Friends, know that you will face temptations to take shortcuts, to just kind of get out of problems with a little gray area. Try to just say, let's do it our way, not God's way. But know that Jesus will carry us through. He is our cornerstone. He is the one who can give us life. Let's pray together. Father, it's not easy to follow Jesus. We've got problems and we'd like to get rid of them. It hurts and we want to solve that pain. We want to get rid of it. So Father, just pray right now that you'll give us strength to stay faithful. Father, help us to trust you. Help us to serve you. Help us to know that the shortcut is not a shortcut, but it's death. And so, Father, give us just that courage to follow Jesus, to know that in our weakness, he is strong, and he will make all things new, including us. We pray this in his name. Amen.